Good evening. Wow, this has been a great day. Being here at your home, your church home, and then spending the afternoon with my wife and going to have an incredible meal at Subway. <laughs> hey, it's healthier than most places, I'll tell you. And met some people from the church here, and gosh, I like what you're doing here. I really do. Now, tonight, I don't want to speak to your hearts. What? No. I want to speak to your minds. That's the biblical approach. I want to start with your minds. And trust me, if you don't take, and not just hear me, but think it with me, process it with me, you probably won't get it. And some of the things I'm going to say is kind of contrary to probably some of your beliefs. And uh, so you've got to be there with me hanging in. And uh, what I want to do is speak about a word that is probably the most significant word in any language in the world. It's a word that people say is the most important word in their vocabulary. It's love. How do you define love? I would say 99% of Christians, followers of Christ, can't. It's just 54 years of experience. I can hardly ever meet anyone, a pastor or anyone, who can define love. Now, I know if Miles is here, he could. He can do everything. But anyway, uh, most situations, they can't. Now, look at it this way. If you can't define love, how do you know you're being loved? If you can't define love, how do you know you're loving someone? If you can't define love, how in the world do you even know you have a loving relationship? You can't. And yet most people will say, love is the greatest motivation of my life. I did it because I loved him. I loved her. I loved, and they can't even define it. It's crazy. How do you define love? If I had time to do this tonight, I would. I don't. But normally I would take a microphone, walk out in the audience, go up in the back everywhere, and just randomly I'd pick people and say, define love, define love, define love, define love. I can almost guarantee, except you all as a crowd here at Rock is probably a notch above others. But anyway, uh, you probably might have better answers. But if you were a typical uh, crowd that you would find on a Sunday night, whatever, anywhere in the world, three of your top five answers would be these three. I mean, almost always they're in the top five. First, define love. What? God. That's so bad. Yes, God is love. But men and women, if you can't define love, then that's a meaningless statement. Look, right here now, we probably have 300 different definitions of love right in this room right now. So you'd have 300 different definitions of God, and probably 99% would be wrong. And then if I came out with the microphone and said, define love, you always get this one. Always get You love it in pastors, seminars, everything. You get this one. Wow. 1 Corinthians 13. That's so bad. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians? No, have you ever studied 1 Corinthians 13? You see, 1 Corinthians 13 does not define love. It shows what love does. Have you ever caught that? There's not one verse that defines love. It shows what love does. Is patient, is kind, thinks of the best, thinks of the other. That's what love does. Then, 
especially in youth crowds of younger people, you always get this one. Please define love. Whoa, it's a feeling. Oh, really? It can't be a feeling. You say, what? Look, if love were a feeling, then God couldn't command it. You can't command an emotion. You can't command someone, feel better. Your mother can say, you're going to eat, what do you call that stuff? Asparagus. You're going to eat, no, your liver, oh, that's worse yet. You're going to eat the liver, she can command you to do that. And you're going to enjoy it, she can't command you to do that. That's a feeling, that's an emotion. You're going to go to school today, she can make you do that. And you're going to enjoy it, she can't make you do that. Now, for God to be able to command love, love would have to be what? Anyone just yelled out. Love would, anything to command has to be a what? You're close. A choice. An action. It always has to be an exercise of the will to command somebody something. It's, an, it's a choice, a decision that results in an action. So what is the decision that results in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, then you have love. What is a decision that results in 1 Corinthians 13? It must be a decision to command it and to show you how important it is. 38% of evangelical Christian young people, 38% in a study showed that if you truly love someone, it makes sex right. These are not the kids down the street. These are kids in our evangelical churches. Why could that even be possible for this reason? As a body of Christ, from pastors, parents, speakers, everything, we tell people you should love one another. You should be a loving person. Love your neighbor. Love your wife. Love your children. Love, love. You should love God. Love. You need to be a loving person. In the community, we need to be known for love. But nobody ever defines it. Nobody ever defines it. I can be in a seminar of 5,000 people from four or 500 churches. And I've done this probably 50, 60 times. I'll say, how many of you here have had your pastor from the pulpit not talk about love, everyone talks about love, but specifically from the pulpit defined love? And out of 5,000 people, at the most, six hands will go up, usually three. Let me do something here. How many of you here? Now, if you raise your hand, as in the first service, I might ask the lady sitting down here, uh, what was it? I want to know here, with your parents, with your mom or dad, how many of you had your mom and dad or your mom or dad not just talk about love, all parents do that, but literally, specifically, defined love for you? <gasps> There's a hand. That's better than the first two services. What was the definition? Yeah, not too good. It's Jesus. It's the person Jesus. Yes, he magnifies love, but what is love? If you can't define love to say Jesus is almost meaningless with it. But you see, hardly anyone's ever had anyone define love for him. 
in my church, which is about 34,000 people, pretty good sized church, and a great pastor. Oh, I love the guy. He's incredible. And uh, he and Miles are cut of the same cloth. And uh, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I were in church together, and he was speaking on love for 40 minutes. People were taking it all in. My wife turned to me after about 30, 35 minutes and said, isn't this a wonderful sermon? I said, no, it's horrible. It's dangerous. She said, what? How can you say that? I said, very simple, because it is. What do you mean? I said, honey, we've had 35 minutes how we ought to be loving people. We ought to love our wives. We ought to love our children. We ought to love our husbands. We ought to love God. We ought to love our neighbors. We should be loving. But never once has he defined what love is. I said, honey, that's dangerous in today's world. That's why 38% of Christian young people will say, well, if you truly love someone, it makes it right. Why? Because this is what we've done. In the body of Christ, we command people, you should love one another, be a loving person, loving person, love your neighbor, love your wife, love everything. Never define it. We let the world define love. And look, in most believers, and probably most of your lives and everything, the world is defined love, not the scriptures. And it defines love this way. Love is sex, sex is love. If you truly love someone, you have sex. If you're having sex, you're loving someone. Look, just listen to the TV shows. In fact, if I put a video up here, right now I had two people having sex, Miles would be back tonight. But anyway, if I, if I put a video up here, two people are having sex. But without you hearing anything that I've said so far, the overwhelming majority of you here say, well, that's awful to do that. They're making love. That's crazy. How do you know they're making love? Yes, they're having sex. But what's that got to do with love? But that's how we do it. Watch the detective shows uh, like um, Law and Order. They had one where this young lady was killed in a hotel room. and They didn't know where the guy was who they thought killed her. And the two detectives are down in the lobby. And you hear this all the time. Just listen to it. Listen to others commenting about things sexually. And the one detective said to the other one, go up there and see if they were making love last night. You see, love is sex, sex is love. And that's how the majority of young people are taught what love is. And that is so dangerous today to ever speak about love and not define it. I can guarantee you, if Miles has done a series on love, you go back and listen to the tapes, I can guarantee you he defined it. I know Miles. He defined it. I can guarantee you that but I couldn't guarantee that of very many pastors because I've never heard a pastor speak that's ever defined love and all the times I've heard people talk about love. How do you define love? Well, I only know one place in the Bible where love is defined. I'm not saying there's not other places, but my Googleite search engine has only found one place. I'm not saying there's not other places in the Bible that defines love. I'm just saying I have never found it in all my life. And the place where it defines love is Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. You said Ephesians? Yeah. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, where it says this. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. 
That doesn't make sense. Shouldn't you love your wife like you love God? Absolutely not. Well, shouldn't you love your wife like you love others? Nope. You love your wife as you love your own body. Whoa, that sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like a confrontation Jesus had with the religious leaders in Matthew 22, 36. Remember, the religious leaders are trying to back Jesus in the corner. Wouldn't that be fun to watch? And he came on with this leading question when he said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment? Remember how Jesus replied? He said this, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then Jesus backed him into a corner. He said, the second, the second what? The second commandment is like unto the first. Is this, love your neighbor as you love God? Nope. As you love others? Nope. Love your neighbor as yourself. I thought you weren't supposed to love yourself. I thought that was sinful. Isn't that what a lot of Christian leaders call narcissism? I'm sure they can't spell it. I'm not sure I could. But isn't that being narcissistic? The love of self? But it says, love your neighbor as yourself. My daughter Katie, when she was six years old, heard me speak on this. And we're driving home. She was quiet for a while. And she said, Daddy, remember what Jesus said? I said, what do you mean? When he said, love your neighbor as yourself, I said, yes. Well, this is profound. This is better than any theologian could come up with. She said, Daddy... If you don't love yourself, your neighbor really has problems. <laughs> no, no, think of that. That's profound, and it's true. This is why I raised, I have three daughters and a son, and I raised my three daughters this way. I was dogmatic, and I would say to any young lady here, I'll say this right to you, and I guarantee you have never heard this ever said. Don't ever, 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 ever marry a man, young ladies, who does not love himself. It'll destroy your marriage. Because he won't know how to love you, and he won't know how to love your children. I'm convinced the number one cause of divorce, if you got right down to it, among Christians, which is equal to atheists and agnostics, the number, not the only cause, the number one cause is men have never been taught to love themselves and how to do it. As a result, they don't know how to love their neighbor and they don't know how to love their wife and their children. It's that critical. So I raise my daughters, don't ever marry a man who does not love himself because you'll have problems. You'll have problems. You say, but Josh... You have been teaching error. How did Miles ever invite you to speak here with such air? I said, what do you mean? Well, haven't you read 2 Timothy 3, 2? Yeah, have you? Have you studied it? Well, Josh, in 2 Timothy 3, 2, it says, in the latter days, one of the greatest sins will be, indicate when in your latter days, men will become lovers of themselves. And you're teaching us tonight that we should love ourselves? No, I'm not. Jesus did and Paul did. So if you don't like it, don't take it up with me. Take it up with them. But you say, Josh, this is a conflict. No, it's not. Now, if you read it, yes. If you study it, no. I've never had a sermon on that you ought to love yourself and how to do it. But oh, have I heard sermons? I bet I've heard 20, 25 sermons 
over my life in 2 Timothy 3.2. They'll become lovers of themselves. And where they teach you shouldn't love yourself, that's narcissistic. But here's the problem. In Matthew 22 with Jesus and with Paul in Ephesians 5, they use one word for love. In 2 Timothy 3.2, Paul uses a totally different word that doesn't even relate to it. Let me show you what I mean. In 2 Timothy 3, 2, and it says they become lovers of themselves, uses the Greek word philautos. It's made up of two root words in Greek, like often in English. Phileo and autos. Philautos. Phileo and autos. Phileo means, some people say it's a word for love, and it's, it is a word for love. I look at it more as a deep friendship, a very intimate, close friendship. The word auto means self, I, me, me, myself, I. For example, autograph means I would take one of my books and I would autograph it. I would auto, I, graph, sign myself. Or autonomous, auto, I, Thomas, rule, I rule myself. I am the center of the universe. I am autonomous, nobody else affects me. It's me, me, me. When they wanted to create the car, they had to have a word to market it, to separate it from other means of transportation. Like with a bus, you have a bus driver that takes you to destination. On a train, you have an engineer that takes you to destination. They needed something that would show that this car is so unique, you yourself drive you to your destination. You don't depend on someone else. They wanted to appeal to that aspect of the individual. So what name did they come up with? Automobile. Auto, I, mobile, move. I move myself to my destination. Now when they take phileo and auto, put it together, it's a very selfish, I-centered relationship. It's kind of described in Jude 1.18, whose purpose in life is to satisfy their own ungodly desires. That's philautos. Or 2 Peter 3.3, 3, scoffing and following their own evil desires. That describes philautos. Or 2 Timothy 3.2, people will be lovers of themselves. And that would be a sign in the latter days. But now, the word that Jesus used and Paul used is the one you're all familiar with. It's called agape. In some languages, they call it agape. Agape. Now, what does agape mean? Agape, agape is another centered love. It centers on the other person. Not so much what you can get, but what you can give. Not what you can take, but what you can endow. It, it's, it's God's purpose, God's desires, God's meaning for your life in other people. It's thinking of other people. You say, well, Josh, you just made a major error. You just taught us that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So that means you love yourself first. Isn't that sin? When agape means you should love others first. No, that's a misunderstanding of agape. And when I get to define agape, you'll see what I mean. You see, built within the concept of love is that if you don't love yourself first, you don't have the capacity to love someone else. If you don't agape yourself first, you do not have the foundation to agape someone else. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration that really helped me. I've had the privilege in my lifetime making over 
13,000 airplane flights. Woo! That's 38,000 times getting on or off an airplane. I've seen everything. Crash landed three times, twice in foam. But there's something I hear in every flight I've ever made. Usually it doesn't matter what language. Any of you that have flown, you have heard it. Let's say I'm flying Delta. The flight attendant will come on and say, thank you for choosing Delta. I'm sitting there saying, there was no other choice. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Thank you for choosing Delta. Now, if we have any problem with oxygen, a mask will drop down out of the top. And immediately the mother is there saying, oh, I got to copy my child. I got to save my child. I love my child. I got to put the mask on my child. No, you never do that. You can kill your child doing that. You first got agape yourself. And what do they say to you? Before you put the mask on your child, first put the mask on yourself. Why? I've seen two or three times where the mask came down, trying to put on children, fight it. No, I don't want it. No, 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 no. And once you get it on, you got to hold it on. Well, if you do that with your child first, then you're going to pass out and you both will die. So they say, first, agape yourself. You with me? Put the mask on yourself. Then you have a foundation. You have the capacity to agape your child. It only takes you several seconds to put the mask on yourself. Then you're free to get the mask on your child and to hold it and save your child's life. That's built into agape. That if you don't agape yourself first, you don't have the capacity to agape someone else. If you don't think of your own needs, your own needs diminish, then you don't have the capacity to meet the needs of someone else. So put the mask first on yourself and then on your neighbor. Now, how do you define love? Well, now picture with me in verse 28, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife as you love your own body. For he who loves his wife loves himself. And then it says this. Now, the model is to love your wife as you love yourself, your own flesh. Doesn't that sound strange? And then the next verse says, for no one ever hateth his own flesh. Meaning, in a natural situation before the fall, nobody would ever hate his own flesh. But it, now, this is the opposite of love your own flesh. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but, what does that but introduce? Anyone. The opposite of hatred. In other words, love yourself, love your own flesh. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. The it does not refer back to his wife. The it refers back to his own body grammatically. So in teaching my children, and I learn with kids, you've got to teach them over and over and over and over again. Because they, they might have a digital mind, but no memory card. And so you just have to, for older folks, it's a photographic mind and no film. But uh, you have to repeat it over. And you don't say, oh, I've said this. And you never say that. You just graciously repeat it and teach it. So this is probably, my son was 11, 12 years old, and I already taught him two or three times what love is and everything, and even explained this verse. And so I forget what we were talking about or something, and I said, son, let me just take a moment and teach you what love is. I didn't say what love is again and again, no. Let me just take some time to teach you what love is. So I went to this verse. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. I said, son... To love is to nourish and to cherish. And my son said, Dad, what does that mean? 
That's why I love kids. Questions, questions, questions. Lock me up in a room with 300 questions. Kids with 1,000 questions, I think I'm in heaven. And so I said, son, to nourish means to bring to maturity. To bring to maturity. Daddy, what area? Now, he's only 11, 12 years old. I said, well, son, Jesus was brought to maturity in four areas. You say, what? Jesus? Yes. He was brought to maturity in four areas. You got to remember, Jesus was just as much man as if he'd never been God, and he was just as much God as if he'd never been man. He was a God-man, and in his humanity, he was brought to maturity. And you say, well, where do you get that from? Oh, all over the scriptures. Go to um, Luke 2, 52. It says, and Jesus kept increasing, being nurtured, brought to maturity in wisdom and stature, and he was brought to maturity, nurtured, in favor with God and men. So I said, son, if you truly love yourself, you will bring yourself to maturity in four areas that it happened in Jesus' life. One, in wisdom, mentally. Second, in stature, physically. Third, in favor with God, spiritually. And fourth, in favor with men, relationally. So I said, son, if your dad loves himself the way he should, by an act of my will, remember, love has to be an act of the will if you command it. By an act of my will, I make the choice to nurture myself to maturity, physically, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. But son, that's only half of love. It says to nurture and to cherish. Now, I get these emails saying, oh, you're horrible, the way you teach kids to adore themselves. I keep thinking, what in the world? What Bible are you reading? What message are you listening to? Has nothing to do with it. To, to cherish means, basically it means to care for. If you cherish someone, you care for them. If you cherish something, you care for it. Now, in the context here, to cherish means to care for. Now, think it through with me in the sense of protect. To care for in the sense of protect. Now, I said, son, if your father loves himself the way he's supposed to, then by an act of my will, I choose to nurture myself to maturity, physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally. That if I truly love myself the way I should, by an act of my will, I choose to cherish myself, to care for myself, to protect myself from anything or anyone who will hinder that nurturing process. By the videos I watch, the kind of movies I go to, what I see and what I do on the internet, what I drink, what I eat, how I drive, the kind of friends that I have, the music that I listen to, the kind of parties I go to, whatever will hinder that nurturing process in my life. If I truly love myself in a biblical, healthy way, I would cherish myself, protect myself from it. I said, now kids, that son is how I am to love your mother. Love your wife as you love your own body. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, son, I am to love your mother the way I love myself. What does that mean? By an act of my will, I choose to nurture your mother to maturity, physically, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. Then if I truly love myself, then I will cherish your mother the way I cherish myself. In other words, I will protect your mother as much as I can, as consciously as I can, from anyone or anything to hinder that nurturing process in her life. I said, son, that's love. But you know, son, that's a little difficult to remember. You don't say, well, last night we nurtured and cherished each other. <laughs> How was your nurturing and cherishing yesterday? Anyway, 
So I said, son, I want to do the impossible. I'm going to do the impossible, son. You say, what do you mean, Josh? Well, I always taught my children. It's impossible to define a major concept, a complicated concept with less than seven to nine words without losing meaning in the concept. But I said, son, I'm going to do the impossible now. I'm going to take the most difficult, most complicated concept in the universe, love, and I'm going to define it with three words. Actually, two words and a conjunction. You say impossible. No, it's not. And I'm not going to lose any meaning. It's going to be absolutely biblical without losing any significant meaning with just three words that any of you should be able to remember the rest of your life. Here it is. I said, son, would nourish, to nurture, to nourish, write down the word provide. Because in the New Testament, the Greek word to nourish basically means, now picture it in your mind, to provide nutrients for growth. You say, I don't get that. Well, let's say next spring, your mother says, when you come home from school, I want you to fertilize the flowers. What is she saying? She is saying, I want you to take and provide nutrients for the flowers. I want you to take fertilizer nutrients and place it in the ground around the flowers. Why? So that the flowers might come to maturity and blossom. This is what it means in the New Testament, to fertilize ourselves, to bring nutrients into our lives physically, mentally, spiritually, and relationally that will bring us to maturity. So write down the word provide. Second, write the word protect, because that's what cherish means, to protect in the sense of to care for protection. Now put the two together, put one word in between, a conjunction, and, and you have the simplest definition of love, protect and provide. It's that simple, to nurture and cherish, protect, or actually it would be provide and protect. Nurture, cherish, provide, protect. We owe our children a definition of love. Oh, folks, I beg you, your children, your grandkids, in today's world, don't ever talk about love without defining it for them. One I owe Kelly, Sean, Katie, and Heather a definition of love, a verbal, specific definition of love. Second, and those are some, I guess they're not up there. Uh, can you put my grandkids up there, just a handful of them? I got 10 of them. Look at that. Oh, man, that one to write it. They're all personality A. Uh, my one daughter has three personality A's under four. Woo, is that a challenge, isn't it? Or under four and a half. But, um, and I have 10 under 10 years old. Uh, my kids take birth seriously. <laughs> and I love it. I want 20. But I owe them a definition. I owe my grandchildren a definition of love. But then second, I owe them a model of love with their mother. I owe my children to define it for them and then to demonstrate it by the way I love their mother. Protect and provide. That's one of the greatest heritages I can leave my children and my grandkids. Now, let's go back to the beginning. God is love. And I'll say define love. God! which to me is ridiculous, because if you can't define love, then that's a meaningless statement. So let's take God is love. Let's take love and put in there the definition. In other words, God protects and provides. Yes, that's love. You see, God in his very nature is love. God in his very nature protects 
and provides. After I trusted Jesus, Savior and Lord in the university, I thought God was a cosmic killjoy. I mean, come on. I read the Bible so much. I heard pastors preach and others say, don't do this, don't do that. Thou shall not, thou shall not, don't do this. I figured, man, God is one big cosmic killjoy until I define love. And then when I realized, oh, this, this had as great an impact of any understanding I've ever had in the scriptures, when I realized that every single commandment in the scripture that appears to be negative, thou shall not, is positive. Oh, I wish every kid understood this. You say, how do you get a positive out of a negative? Very simple. Every single commandment is an expression of the very nature of God. God is love. Every single commandment appears to be negative, thou shall not, always has two positive principles in it, to protect and to provide. It is so significant. I wrote a whole book on it called Right from Wrong. And what I did in there, I took all the commandments and everything, and I walked you through it step by step, how God giving this commandment literally protects and provides. It changed my whole relationship with God. And then, in Deuteronomy 10, 13, God was trying to get his people to obey his commandments, to follow his word, to obey his commandments. Today, we preach and everything else, teach our kids, well, if you don't obey God's commandments, he's going to punish you. He's going to take away your Starbucks card. He's going to send you, Starbucks is the worst thing, but anyway, he's going to take you, going to send you to hell. But do you ever notice how God motivates? Different than Christians, a lot of Christians. God said this, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today, why? For your good. Do you get that? Do you ever think that God's commandments to protect him for his good? No. It's for our good. Why? Because every commandment protects and provides. And I challenge you, even get my book right from wrong. Uh, you can get it off the web, whatever, and walk through all the commandments. It'll blow your mind how God loves you, and that means he wants to protect you and provide for you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, whoops, I went over. God loves us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Why? For God so wants to protect and provide a savior for the world, he gave his only begotten son. In, in um, Exodus 34, 14, is a verse a lot of people misinterpret. And uh, it says this, probably in your translations. You should worship no other God but the Lord, for his name is Jealous. Doesn't that irritate you a little bit? For he is a jealous God. Oprah Winfrey said that's the reason why she turned her back in her faith. She could not serve a jealous God. I said, isn't that interesting? The biggest thing difference between Oprah and me, besides wealth, is this. <laughs> I took time to find out what it means. And you know what it means, jealous there? Oh, this is beautiful. I get so excited about God's words. You say, why don't you have a Bible? I do. I got 15 of them. God, this is what it's literally saying. Pull now the Hebrew. You should worship no other God but the Lord, for he is a God. This is what jealous means. For he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. That's what jealous means. That he is passionate. He doesn't want to share you with anyone. He created you to be a part with him, to love him, to serve him, to know him, to follow him. And he's passionate about that relationship. He wants to protect and provide for us. 
there are some books out there that can help you or uh, they're set up in a bookstore. One is The Secret of Loving. This is one of my all-time three favorite books to write. And I think in response back from people, how can you really know you're in love? First of all, I point out that's a lousy question. You're always in love. Puppy love is love, but if you stick with it, you'll lead a dog's life. How do you know, how do you know your love is mature enough for a love sexual marriage relationship? And the other is, what kind of person should I marry? That's totally a wrong question. Guys, if you want a queen, you need to be a king. You hear me? If you want a king, girls, you need to be a queen. You want a good lover? You need to be a good lover. Whatever list you made about the person you would like to marry, how do you match that list? It's not so much finding the right person, it's being the right person first. And then the book, The Father Connection. How can you as a father, a mother, a single father, single mother, how can you connect to your child that, except in a very rare situation, that child will respond to you and not rebel? This is so key for any raising any child. And then, oh, I love doing this one. The bare facts on sex, love, and relationships. 39 questions your parents hope you never ask about sex. And then, the, and I'll guarantee you, 80% of you have not read or known about 80% of what's in this book. It is so new and it is so frank, most people would never write it. But my guide is the scriptures, and most people don't know how far the scriptures go when it talks about sex and love. And then this here is how to take this and share it with your children. You can use this with your children. I took 25 young people from five countries, went to a, a coffee shop, had three cameras going, and I started, and on the big table, I had all these physical illustrations laid out where when talking about material here, you can't do it in a book, but in the video, I could take out and show you through this physical illustration a key principle about sex, about God's teaching about sex, something else. You can use the same things with your own children and grandkids. Folks, God loves you. And thank you for a lot. I mean, this to me is such a thrill to come to the rock and just be a small part of your life today. Thank you for giving me that privilege. God bless. Well, I want to uh, just pray for us and close our service uh, for our North County campus, our East County campus. Thanks for joining us uh, today. It's been great to have you a part of what Josh has been communicating. Now, let's just bow our heads and uh, just thank the Lord for this time. Father, thank you for this message of love. Pray that it would sink into our hearts, would sink into our heads, that we could live it out in our lives. We want to be people who love authentically. We know the world has distorted and twisted our understanding. So we pray the truth of your word would sink deep into our minds, enlighten our hearts through it, that we may love other people with the love that you've loved us with. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a couple quick announcements before we dismiss uh, first is I want to give a shout out to our, our children's ministry team, our Rock Kids uh, Dream Team. I don't know if you know, they have led over 1,200 kids into a personal relationship with Jesus this year alone. This year alone. 
It's one of the most exciting, dynamic teams to be a part of. If you haven't gotten plugged into ministry yet and you're wondering, what would be a great fit for me here at the church, an opportunity for me to serve and do something that makes an eternal difference in my life, I can't think of a better team than our Rock Kids team. So if you want to belong to something truly impactful, they're going to be out in the lobby. Uh, if you want to sign up to serve uh, at any of the services, they'll, they'll walk you through it. It's a really simple process. So take advantage of that. Also want to encourage those of you who have maybe thought of leading a, a small group, what we call life groups here at the Rock Church. Uh, in the beginning of the year, some friends called me up and they said, hey George, we want to do a Bible study. Would you spend a few months with us and, and teach us through a Bible study? And so I, I agreed and we went through the, the parables of Jesus on the kingdom of God. And I got to tell you, I was so enriched and so blessed just being in a small group again and getting that accountability. So I want to encourage you, if you've ever had that inkling of an idea, you know, I ought to lead a small group. That might be God speaking to you, saying, yeah, you ought to do that because that's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to be enriched. So our Life Groups team is, is out in the lobby as well. If you want to host or, or potentially lead a small group, uh, talk to them. Uh, they'll walk you through that process. And then lastly, we want to give of our tithes and offerings tonight. And so we want to celebrate that moment. And if you're new to the church, the reason we celebrate is because we're, we're celebrating that we're blessed enough to give. We're acknowledging that God has been good to us and we're grateful. And my kids were asking me today, someone called them uh, uh, spoiled. And they said, Dad, what does spoiled mean? And I said, oh, well, spoiled is simply you get everything you want and you stop being grateful for it. And we never want to get spoiled with God. We never want to get to a point where God is blessing us with everything we need and we lose our gratitude for him. Amen? So that's why we, we cheer. We say, God, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. And as Josh was teaching us today, that love is, the definition of love is to protect and provide. When we give of our tithes and offerings, we're providing resources to minister to those who are less fortunate in our community. The homeless, uh, single moms who lose their job and need a, a hand up, not a hand out. You provide that. And it's a tangible expression of God's love to our community. So let's uh, pray over our tithes and offerings that God would use it to continue to extend his love through our church, in our community, and around the world. Father, we want to give to you tonight cheerfully, gratefully, and we ask that you would bless these tithes and offerings, may they be a practical extension of your love in our community. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Our giving boxes are on the exits on your way out. Our pastoral support team is down front. If you have any needs you want prayed for, God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.